Hi, you're listening to Happy Hour with Stretch and Stir Fry. You can find us on sailworld.com, yachtsandyachting.com and iTunes. This week on the pod, we're joined by a Volvo Ocean Race veteran. Three laps completed, one on Amos Sports, one on SCA and one on Brunel. She's a Magenta Project ambassador and mentor. We welcome Abby Ayler. doing i'm good thanks yeah how are you guys uh well i was just saying the stretch i was a bit depressed today lockdown's getting to me or well lockdown and no work um oh. so hopefully you're going to cheer us up or cheer me up <laughs> yeah our mission this evening abby is to cheer stuff right up okay um, i'll do my best it's only well i shouldn't say um, the time because people can listen to it when they want I'm so just, i'm having a beer sod it yeah we're just gonna we've got to keep them off the whiskey and that way everything will be all right yeah. Um, <laughs> um, how are you, Abby? Yeah, I'm good. I uh, guess a little bit of of stir fry's uh, symptoms. Cabin fever. Yeah, well, I think <laughs> finally, like, nice to be able to get out officially. Yeah. But um, yeah, I think just uh, you know, understanding what's the sailing scene going to look like in the future. Are we going to, you know, is it ever going to come back to what it was? And yeah, I don't It'll know. Be normal. It's all a bit uncertain. I mean, who were you meant to be doing some sailing with this summer? I was supposed to be doing a bit with Black Pearl, the new uh, 60 or 50, whatever it is. But haven't heard much from them. Blitzen, the classic, they've confirmed they're going to do Saint-Tropez, so that's a winner. A little bit with Phoenix? Well, no, because 12... I was sailing with Tina this season. Oh, so you And, um... The 12 didn't ship up. Uh, the boat's going to stay in in Cape Town, which is a bit of a bummer. There's a hint of irony there. You'll probably be sailing that boat in Cape Town before we're sailing a Super Series event. Yeah. Well, you never know. There's hope. Yeah. I did a dragon quiz on Sunday. This is how bad it's got. I did a dragon quiz with, um, you were allowed two people from each boat. So Andy and I did our boat. And we yeah. had, I don't know, six, 12, I don't know six boats that we were against and there was scoring and hold your answers up and anyway somehow we're through to the semi-finals wow oh, well done Who's not, sure, not so sure i can cope with it though no it's good fun what have the kids been up to then have they been going mental uh, we just got one a boy uh, harley who's eight <laughs> what do you mean and... you have got two i know that you've got one called thomas yeah, he, yeah. he's the, the difficult child yeah yeah, Harley's been good. I think the biggest well, the thing... Thomas is a rather large German <laughs> who is married to Abby. Uh, Harley is doing well. He's, I think, missing his mates more than anything, just that social interaction. Yeah. Doesn't do the whole Zoom thing particularly well. We're trying to do karate sessions oh. online. Not interested. No. That so, is um, a hard one to translate. <laughs> yeah. Actually, feel he wants to hit things. <laughs> <laughs> Thomas, I'm pretty happy that he got out on the water. Yeah. Since, yeah, he's been out selling his arrow for the last few days, so he's in a slightly better place than where he has been. Oh, good, <laughs> good. Was he, he was going up the walls then. You, you start lockdown thinking, oh, I'm going to learn a new language, I'm going to do all this, get the house tidied up. And I think as time goes on, you just get more and more like, sort of, I don't know, just put down by the whole Oh, I can tell you, our neighbours have learned a new language. 
they? Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> it's called colourful. <laughs> you want to expand on that? <laughs> well, I, no, I think there's been a couple. Over of, the fence shouting at you. Yeah, a couple of. No, no, this is just not in at our you. house. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> not me. Mainly people shouting at me in my household because I'm not a very good lockdown participant. Anyway. Stir yeah. like me, Abby. He's very outnumbered in the house in the right. female ratio. Mm. Yeah, it's not as bad as it could be because Lauren's in Vancouver, but Millie and Helen, they've been very patient. I, I, I can't complain. I'm not, I'm not a very good lockdown associate, I'm afraid. Stirfra and I are, are sort of quite vicious in our interviewing technique, you're going to find. Yeah, it's already started, Abby. I don't, this is it. It's, it's tough journalism and it's harder. I mean, I think we've all chatted so much about coronavirus to our friends, family and everyone the reason why we did Happy Hour was to focus on the more positives in life yep. through mm-hmm. these times. Sounds good. And, and I think we love the fact that you've already got three Volvos under your belt. You've done so much as an ambassador for female sailing. Um, obviously, the low life in your career was probably um, having to sail with Stir Fry and I on Enigma. That must have been tough times. Yeah, it was pretty hard. Yeah. However, um, when was that? 2003? That was a long three, time. Four, yeah. yeah. Two, three and four. Yeah. 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 The boat did really well in 2003 and won every regatta it entered. Yeah. What then... Fastnet race? Post Fastnet. I mean, I think Fastnet through. So it won Fastnet in three, Middle Sea overall in three, Duralia overall in 04. Le Voile as well, didn't she go out there for that? Yeah, we didn't. I don't think we won Le Voile. Unfortunately, you spent half a race up the rig, didn't you, Abby? <laughs> what, on that um, Duralia race, yeah, I've got on memories. First, but on the the Voile Saint Tropez in '03 or '04, I seem to remember we did a a beat out of the of the bay, and we had an issue, or one of those funny races where it, we knew it was going to get windy, and we didn't really prepare for it, and then we also knew that it was going to drop as quickly as it had come. So we did the whole race with the J two up, and that was the end of that sale. So <laughs> um, I suppose for our listeners, we should say that. Enigma was a, what was it, a 70? Rykel a 76. Rykel Pugh, so a sled, one of those yeah. sort of mini maxi sleds. And originally it was called Chance out of the US and she had sister ships, uh, kind of the Pegasus era. Pegasus. Black Pie Wacket, I think, Black yeah. Dragon. So yeah, so that was, you know, kind of built for the Transpac type of race, downhill racing. But yeah, she was a, a weapon in flat water and... Yeah. And you were the boat captain, weren't you? I was, yeah. So it, Matt Kaup was the uh, manager of the whole project, if you like, at that time. And I had just finished up, again, unfortunately, working with Stir Fry at uh, <laughs> the uh, Cup in Auckland for GBR. And yeah, Matt Kaup said, I've got this boat, I need a boat captain. So I went off to Saint-Tropez, met the boat there in Cogolan, and yeah, that started three years of running Enigma. It's traditional on the pod, Abby, that um, anyone who knows Matt Camp has to do a, an impression of him. It's like a tribute. <laughs> I'm going to leave that to you, Steph, right? As the master. Sorry, to the dock. <laughs> Sorry, Matt, wherever you are in the world right now. <laughs> So, Abby, uh, we've also got something else that we wanted to chat to you about, which was um, the fact that you are up for um, Seahorse Sailor of the Month this month, aren't you, if I'm not out of date? Yeah, I did see that, yeah. Well done. Thank uh, you. 
So Thank Mr. Lopez is very excited because he was also Seahorse Sailor of the Month. And so he's very determined. Hopefully you'll get in the club. It's good. You get some new Dubarry boots. Good product placement there. Wow. Uh, a Musto um, high-performance Gore-Tex jacket. And, oh, you get a Harken winch handle with your name on. Wow. Yeah. Just That's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> and it says Seahorse Sailor of the Month. Yeah, it's really nice. So I had a lovely message from the guy that I'm up against, the photographer who's yeah. from South America, uh, sent me a lovely message saying, um, oh, I see we're up against each other. I voted for you. Oh, <laughs> Congratulations. What a lovely fellow. <laughs> Did you I put, said, I oh. haven't voted for you? <laughs> no, I, I did return the favour. So, well, uh, <laughs> Oh, that's a state of equilibrium. Certainly for all of you out there, as nice as this photographer is, vote Abby <laughs> now. Yes. Exactly. So, Abby, I'm interested. I didn't realise you were such a sport billy. So before you were sailing, you're doing triathlons. I mean, what insanity is that? I guess I've always been very, very sporty, even from a kid, you know, at school. I was not the academic at all. It was always sport, sport, sport. Um, you know, even as a young kid, I did everything under the sun. You know, mum and dad driving me to clubs or, you know, after school clubs or whatever. So yeah, sport was always a huge part of my life. And I think triathlon came about while I was living in Australia. It's just, you know, it's very much a, a mainstream sport down there. And I like the idea that you could, you get three for the price of one, really. You know, you can um, you swim, bike, run, and just the challenge of having all three thrown into a race. So you might not be very good at the one element of it, but you make up for it in the other. And just fell in with a really good club in sydney and yeah and really nice bunch of, of guys there guys and girls and loved it really just part of ocean swimming swimming in the pool you know cycling out towards the the national park there south of sydney and doing a lot of runnings in centennial park or, or around the coastline so i think it was just just looking for something else to to do beyond sailing and at the time i was i think it was just after the financial crisis and I took a bit of time out from sailing to go and work in the city and so this was kind of a, a good side hobby if you like to uh, to yeah keep me fit and active. So what were you doing in the city because you know stir fry and I need to somehow find a way to make some money at the moment. <laughs> you give us any advice? <laughs> no, no not really I mean I guess I think it was sailing at that time, you know, had taken a bit of a nosedive and the purse strings were getting, were getting uh, closed up on sailing projects. And particularly down there, there's, there aren't, you know, as many big budget campaigns. And I thought, well, you know, it's probably a good, an opportune moment to, to diversify and just upskill in some other areas. Anyway, I landed the job and I spent, yeah, two years working in, the CBD in, in Sydney. I think it was a great learning experience, great to, to pick up some grown-up skills, as I call them. I, I didn't, I couldn't have lasted the time and it wasn't, wasn't long before I was knocking on Ian Murray's door to say, I see you've got an America's Cup coming up. I need to get out of the city. <laughs> I'm going to use my grown-up anyone? <laughs> and yeah, and then I, I went off and started working for the um, America's Cup World Series back in 2011-12. Hmm. The thing is that you say 
you went to develop some grown-up skills. The, the fact is that you have developed your grown-up skills from what you've done in your sailing life, and you'd be amazed how many people want to tap into that. It's kind of a, you know, you bring more um, to the to the table than I think you ever give yourself credit for. Mm, possibly, I think I think um, you don't realise that maybe that skill set's there because it's it's challenged on a a secondary level maybe whereas i think when you're working in in industry in commerce it, it it's a lot more cutthroat some of those commerce skills so yeah i, th- I think you're right so far there's definitely the skills that come from running campaigns you know budgeting team management logistics yeah it's definitely it's it's all there and, and you need to be good at it to a make it work and b keep the owners happy and and bring everything in on, on budget and uh, yeah, it's definitely um, a very varied skill set. And as we all know, there are, are great managers in the sport and some that aren't quite so great. But I guess it was just uh, felt the need to, I don't know, just, yeah, just to upskill in in a completely different area. And I think just to step out of sailing while while it was in a bit of a downturn and make make the most of other areas. But I think in terms of crisis management, you, you have to have an ability when you're doing the bow or the pit, which is your area of expertise, where you have to be able to think ahead. You've got to be able to preempt situations. And then even when you've done all your homework and all your prep, you still have to be able to pull a rabbit out of a hat when required. And I think that stands a lot of people, and I'm sure it's the same in lots of different sports, but when they come from a sporting background into the real world and get a proper job or use their grown-up skills as you say it stands in good stead yeah 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 definitely I think it that ability to think on your feet and and sailing is is anything but uh you know straight down the line there's just so much flexibility you know the conditions are never the same situations are never the same and as you said it's that um you can preempt and do as much pre-thought or planning maneuvers but of course you know, things never happen, stuff doesn't go on the lock or stuff comes off the lock or, uh, you know, there's other boats mixing it up. So, yeah, that ability to to have a plan, but also then to go to plan B or C, whatever that may be, and having that up your sleeve and making sure that the, everyone else on the boat is on the same page is, yeah, it's definitely uh, an art to that. And I think something that only comes through doing it and through building that experience and particularly in a race like the, the Volvo, you you build that that experience gain from the the scenarios and you chatted about the Volvo just then and we've got to ask Amma Sports 2 um how did that all, all come about because it's the first time well second time actually but um you know it's the first um of a new era of, of sailors who female sailors who put a team together how did all that come about yeah I a little bit out of the blue for me I I was working with Led Pritchard running a 46 foot uh, race yacht. And uh, yeah, so I think you've Led got to drop the have... name in. You've got to drop the <laughs> name in for the punters, Abby. Come on. <laughs> Led, what a star. I mean, I, no, but I was. What, what was it? Which it was oh. a. I was on Sydney and the Hawk. The Mighty Hawk. Nigel Bramwell's The Nigel Hawk. Bramwell. The hey. Mighty Hawk. I think yeah. we should raise a toast to Led as well. Because <laughs> yeah. he's one of the <laughs> we great. We should. Yeah, indeed. And, I, you know, I owe so much to him, not only for what I learnt, um, you know, being his nipper and learning about the mechanics of and how to run a boat, 
so the practical side but also from the network side I mean the people that I met through him was just you know astronomical and probably the springboard to to where I am now so I think it was led that put me forward to Lisa McDonald who was the skipper of Amos Sports 2 they were looking for a boat captain for the boat and yeah so I got a phone call from Lisa and pretty much was was uh, signed on the phone and before I knew it I was down in La Ciota in the south of France um, and joined for the last three months of the, the build and yeah we launched the boat yeah I guess in it was early early summer with the race starting sort of three four months five months maybe later so it was a pretty intense time of of training and uh, and you know, we were intermixed with the guys. We never trained as an all-girl team. I think there was a bit scared that either we were going to sandbag the boat or that we didn't have a bloody clue what we were doing. So they thought we'd, we needed the, the skill and expertise of the guys um, to sail mixed, to make it a fair fair judge. Because at that point, Dolts hadn't selected which boat he was going to go around the world with. So we were a two-boat program. One was a far design and one was a Freres design. And um, so, yeah, that, that entire testing period was really him working out which boat he was going to take around the world and we would have got the, the cast off boat. So we ended up in the Freres and um, when we set off uh, for the race, that was probably the second time that we'd ever sailed as a complete crew. So uh, in at the deep end, as they say. <laughs> but I mean, an amazing race. I think it's that race is either you love it or you hate it. And I fell in love with it. I just loved the the challenge. I love the camaraderie of the the team. You know, trying to make a boat go fast with the team. And um, yeah, it was had its ups and downs, as does any race of that magnitude. But yeah, came away from that absolutely loved it and keen to do it again. Talking of downs, you lost your mast, didn't you? Yeah, we did. Um, about two days out of Boston um one of the the verticals failed so yeah we still don't really know why nothing that we had done on board to cause it and quite quite a cool story actually we the closest point of land at that particular point was to go north to Nova Scotia and there was a huge uh storm as there always is due about three days time we had enough diesel to kind of motor us you know the majority of the way but we wouldn't have got there we were probably in time for that storm hitting us and we would never have made it through. Um, so there was a Coast Guard ship in the area, a Canadian Coast Guard ship, who apparently had the, the call that there was um, a yacht, a racing yacht, needing their assistance with 13 damsels in distress on board, which you can imagine... <laughs> well, quite the opposite. They didn't believe it. It took a few, a few... It took a bit of convincing that it was in fact true. <laughs> Um, and so the night that we, or yeah, the afternoon that we rendezvoused with this Coast Guard ship, it was flat calm and as thick as pea soup fog. So you can imagine, you know, we can't see jack shit. There's just nothing. And we can hear this massive foghorn coming, you know, out the distance. And so you're scanning the horizon, trying to see this boat. And then all of a sudden you're like, holy shit. And about sort of hundred meters up in the sky is the bow of this, uh, coast guard ship and it was huge absolutely bloody huge 
so they got a little boat over to us to give us some jerry cans and then fired across the whole monkey fist uh, to get a tow line on. And yeah, eventually we got under tow and we chugged north and we were under tow for about 24 hours. We broke the tow once. But, oh, my God, being towed at about 25 knots behind, you know, 200 metres behind a sort of a Coast Guard ship the size of a frigate was an experience that I'll never forget. Um, but, yeah, something else. Unbelievable. But you, you guys started getting it together in certain sort of wind conditions or directions, didn't you, as well? And you suddenly started finding the pace that it's quite hard to find when you've only sailed a boat twice before. Yeah, I guess um, quite similar almost to the Brunel situation was where y- it takes you time to to get used to A, your your team and B, the boat and learn about all the intricacies of the boat. So I think by towards the end of the race, we were starting to get it together and, and even beat um, Dolch, you know, our teammates into Kiel on that last leg. So mm. it's um it's definitely time together as a team, time getting to know the boat is is a huge factor. And something that we were massively lacking, but because um, you had a big you had a big battle with Canuck, didn't you, into Miami or something? Was it Miami? Um, uh, yeah, I think um, yeah, into or, no into North America, Chesapeake Bay. Yeah, we had a full fight with them up up the Chesapeake, dodging fishing pots. But um, but other than that, I don't think we really shone apart from that last leg. <laughs> Finally, Miami <laughs> has it that Dort said he would go down Queen Street with a pineapple up his backside if you beat yeah him. yeah that's right no he never did but there was plenty of um people stood on the dock in keel with pineapples waiting for him <laughs> well I, I think you should call it in yeah <laughs> that's a i think now where are you dalton yeah yeah uh, yeah <laughs> He could do it in lockdown. Maybe there's not too many people on Queen Street. <laughs> Get away with it. Yeah, maybe. So, One day. So how did that compare to Team SCA then? I guess the, the huge difference was that Amos Sports, we were very much the B team. You know, we were um, second sort of second rate in terms of sales, shore crew, sharing, um, budget, you know, having to work on our boat ourselves. So the big difference with SCA was it was a standalone project. It was professionally run. And the whole commitment of the programme was to make us a team uh, to sail the boat and be competitive in in the race. And purely not to be there for a token token effort. So, uh, you know, light years in front in in that respect. And great to have so much support in terms of the coaching, the medical staff, the, you know, having a chef, having a fitness trainer. It's, yeah, huge difference. We, we look at that team and they've, you know, gosh, they've all, you've, you've all gone on to do pretty amazing things offshore in particular, um, considering a lot of them, as Sturfro quite rightly said to me earlier, a lot of inshore sailors in that team, fast inshore sailors, but, you know, the likes of Barco, Broa, um, to do a lot more, haven't they? Yeah, I think we, we had a, a great mix of talent, you know, a lot of uh, sailors who'd come out of the offshore stream, um, some that had come out of the Olympic discipline. So it was a real, a real nice mix and, you know, a good complement of skills. And I think it just, again, um, I think it was a pretty, uh, we were pushed very hard in that 
training time leading up to the start of the race and uh, you know looking back on it now rightly or wrongly the way we were coached and perhaps uh could have been better or we could have used our time better because I think a lot of us got to the start of the race and we were absolutely burnt out from from the time in training um just you know trying to learn how to sell the boat fast trying to operate as a team and you know everyone trying to find their niche and areas of responsibility so yeah it was it, it was definitely some interesting time very hard work and I think you know we probably pushed ourselves almost too much in that time and could have uh, yeah a lot of us feeling that desperate just to start the race because we were just burnt out from doing time in the gym and, and hours on the water but no I mean a fantastic group and a, a really diverse group as you said which which played in our in our favour. Was there an element of, uh, you alluded to it earlier, obviously when the team for Brunel came together, you were relatively late in the piece, but there was a real mix of um, super talented, multidisciplined sailors on that programme. And as the race went on, obviously you got stronger and stronger and stronger. Would you draw similarities or not? Is that? Uh, I mean, yeah, Brunel, there was obviously a huge amount of experience in Bauer and KP and a huge amount of talent in the form of uh, Pete Berling and Carl Langford and Albie, Albie Bolzan, who had done the race before with, with Alba Medica. And, you know, but then we had Annie Lush and myself as the two girls on board. So it was a great to sort of watch the, the niche, if you like, of the, that offshore talent and the, up and coming generation of Pete and Carl in particular, who were, you know, come very much out of the cup programs where mm -hmm. every second, every, you know, percentile is, is being chased down to get that, that extra ounce of the boat. Um, whereas uh, Bauer, you know, is, is conservative, but for the right reasons, you know, you, you wanting to get to the finish line in one piece rather than, you know, you've, you've rushed and, and broken something as a, as a result. So it was a really interesting dynamic. And I, I think we had a, quite a lot of crew changes early on in the race, which didn't help us. So I think it definitely took us time to bed down as a team. And I think that's a kind of one of the obvious differences between the likes of Dong Feng and Matt Frey, who'd had an, a year leading up to the start of the race. And so had probably gone through all those stages of, nutting out who was going to work in the team who who wasn't going to work in the team um how to sell the boat how to do maneuvers and and so forth so um we were very much on the back foot in terms of being late to the start line and, and having that that not a lot of time in the water pre-race so yeah crew changes didn't help us and i think it took us to auckland when we had a massive low point we'd finished last in the leg before and it took us you know at a, a time where we had to just evaluate everything we had to work out you know back to basics how do we make this boat go fast how do we work as a team and yeah that was a real a turning a turning point in the race you probably won the second half of the race then i think we did yeah i think we we smashed out quite a few firsts yeah and yeah really all came down to that final leg where i think um yeah <laughs> we kind of maybe lost lost the uh lost our uh winning streak and yeah I think it just didn't sell quite as well and and 
just just goes to show. I think the consistency of the the other teams, particularly uh, Dongfeng and Matt Frey, came through, and and in the end, the best team won. So that's normally yeah. the way, I'm afraid. Mm. And having sailed, you, you sort of said you know you were a little bit um, the B team with regard to the sail program on the Aimer. Uh, and you know maybe you didn't have all the frontline sales, but you had a pretty uh, what's the best way to describe it? You had a, an inventory that went from naught to forty knots and went in a selection of angles. And then when you went round on the sixty fives, obviously you have one design sales, and you all have to sail the same angle. So your strategy tends to take you to the same places. Do you have a preference? I think having that sort of more defined uh, or limited cell selection I think it it definitely it shows up weaknesses a lot easier you know that they're highlighted a lot a lot more and therefore you have to be a lot more tactful with your decisions and I think from that point it certainly makes the race way more exciting it's much closer because the boats um, tend to sail the same angles you're closer and you're more yeah, 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 I think, you know, your positioning is, is more or less going to be the same. And it, it really comes down to it's more of a match racing event. It's all about boat speed, which, you know, can be a finite difference. Whereas I think with the, the Volvo 60s, there was so much, you know, the range was huge, as you said. And, um, you know, whether that be in sail selection or... Well, I'll what angles you're going to sell. Yeah. So yeah. I think, um, I think the one design has, has really sort of shown how close the race can be. And I mean, I think it must've made it, I hope, think it would have made it more interesting as a spectator sport, mm. just, you know, from the outside looking in, seeing how close and um, the decision-making process, I don't know. We're, as, a, as a massive Whitbread and Volvo fan, I thought it was incredibly exciting you know, you're constantly wondering who's going to come out on top rather than perhaps 20 years ago, you sort of knew after the first leg or so who's going to come out on top. Well, um, exactly. And I think that was proved by the fact that it came down to three boats could have won the race overall going into that last leg in, in the last edition of the race. I mean, it, you've raced around the world for 39,000 miles and it's the 900 leg sprint that's going to decide who wins this race. And I think, as you said before, Rory, the, the scores were on the doors probably halfway round in a, in a previous leg. So almost becomes a bit of a, well, you know, I know who's going to win type thing. Um, and a lot of that was probably budget factored. And the fact that they've, they've you know, brought the boundaries down and, and made it one design and, and put some limits in, I think it, it certainly makes it a bit more of an open playing field. Got to, I've got to ask, because um, the, the last Volvo was sort of opened up with um, some of perhaps David Witt's misquoted comments. <laughs> um, what, what was it like after doing two all-female all campaigns, going into what had a serious, seriously interesting, incredible crew, as you say, from America's Cup to Volvo Expertise? How was it for you and Annie going into that team? Did you feel... It was a good setup, and you were well treated and equals and everything. Uh, yeah, I certainly did. Um, I think that was the attraction to do the race was you know to have the opportunity to sail with the likes of Bauer and KP, for example, who were on their you know eighth and sixth race respectively. I mean, just to have the 
access to that depth of experience that depth of knowledge was something that had never happened in for me personally in in the race before so and it was probably one of the most frustrating factors sailing with an all-female team is just that lack of depth and expertise and experience particularly in a, an offshore race of that um of that length and so to have that you know that access was just like i've got to do this you know and um and funny enough, I didn't start out with Brunel. I started out with Vestas, eleventh uh, hour, and I guess I'd come from, um, you know, I'd been a boat captain with Team SCA. I'd, I'd boat captain for Amos Sport, and that's predominantly my my niche. And the, there wasn't that opportunity within Vestas, and I really felt that, you know, although they were were keen to have me on board from my experience, it, I wasn't feeling satisfied in myself that I was I was there for the right reasons and uh, he touched on it the fact that I didn't really gel with the team and there was a couple of people who I just would not have enjoyed going around the world with and and so I stepped away from that and um, yeah it was just uh, soon after that Bruno hadn't yet signed their their second girl for the team and they were still looking for a boat captain and someone to do the pit so it was a you know a match made in heaven really and I signed up with Brunel and went around with them so I was extremely happy and um, I've subsequently had uh, obviously chats with Charlie and Mark (laughs) in recent months and um, (laughs) nothing personal to them at all but uh, yeah just as you said, you, you've got it's such a commitment of your life to undertake a race like that, and you've got to a you've got to enjoy being with the people, you've got to trust the people around you, and uh, yeah, it's too big a commitment to to go around just to for the sake of going around. And talking of going around, I reckon some of the most evocative pictures of the Volvo Ocean Race are um, people sort of kissing and hugging goodbye to their children because you know they're going off to do some in many cases some very dangerous things but then seeing you mums going to sea takes it to another level when you see you seem to all have children the same sort of age there must be an incredible Volvo crash going on somewhere Um, I mean how hard is it to just leave your little baby Harley at that time and get into full Mm. race race mode it's I mean it's definitely not easy it's 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 tough and I guess it's similar no no different for for dads having to say goodbye and I I guess you know I ultimately I love what I do in in my sailing and you've got to know that you're leaving your child behind in in safe hands someone that they're you know they're looking after nothing's going to happen to them and so you leave knowing that you know you're going off to do what you love and you're going to see them in a few weeks time. I guess, you know, when I was thinking about the SCA project and I'd been out of professional sailing for a few years leading up to that project, it was a huge question mark on my mind, you know, should I take this race on? I've, you know, I've got a three-year-old child. Is it a responsible thing to do? And I think at the time, we, you know, we talked it over and I knew that Sam Davies and Carolyn Brower also had kids the same, the same age. So, you know, they'd already signed with the team and so I wasn't going to be alone in the, the mum department. But I think the biggest thing came down to I would be a more miserable mum and a grumpy mum if I was sat on the sidelines watching SCA sail around the world compared to 
uh, you know, taking it on and and taking that opportunity. And and then in actual fact, the the life that and the experiences that we you know introduced Harley to during that race, coming to the stopovers, um, you know, hanging out with the other kids on the race, it was a, a huge life experience for him. And you know, traveling to all these different countries. So yeah, I think he's had a, a great introduction, and certainly you know it's not every parent is different but for me it's it's really important to continue what i do and uh, regardless of of children and, and to to plug them into to your way of life and yeah certainly no regrets that's for sure and i think he's had a, a great experience so far i've got to ask uh, i mean you're obviously now in lock where well, you've been in lockdown <laughs> probably very much like stir fry you are, you are an animal of the sea and prowling around your house wanting to be released but has this been a chance for you to really kick into work doing a bit more time on the magenta project and can you tell our listeners a bit more about the magenta project yeah sure so the project was something that came about at the end of the sca volvo race that the team had obviously came to an end and we were hoping that uh, SEA would have stepped up and sponsored a second edition, uh, another team. Uh, that didn't happen. And, and so we, we'd amassed such a following and such a hype around women in sailing and not, not just to sailors, I mean, and not just to women. I mean, the, the, the sort of following that we had and the, the people that we'd inspired to do things or otherwise, it was just amazing. And, that was something that we just didn't want to let go. Um, and so by creating um, effectively an organization that would work to, to advance women in, in the sport of sailing towards more the professional end of the sport where, you know, there's plenty of clubs around, there's plenty of organizations that are dealing with the grassroots side and, or just women in sailing socially and, and upskilling. And this was really to try and plug the more, professional end of the sport and offer either training opportunities or you know work with organizations to try and drive some change in a culture and one of the particular projects we've had running for the last two years is a mentoring scheme where we've paired up a young aspiring female sailors who are really keen to get uh, somewhere in the sport whether that be transitioning from dinghy to keelboats or you know bigger boats uh, they want to go offshore racing or um, they're trying to make it in, in the dinghy world. Um, and I guess luckily with lockdown, it's one of the things that we've been able to keep going with. So currently on this uh, program, we've got 35 mentees who are spread across the globe and they've been matched with either professional sailors or people within the industry. Yeah. And so it's been fantastic to see their enthusiasm and their sort of networking has has just gone massively through the ceiling as we've been in lockdown and they've all sort of jumped onto Zoom calls and met each other. Uh, we've held webinars on the ocean race, for example, on fitness, on, you know, how to write a CV. Uh, yeah, we've really made the use of the time while we've all been in lockdown in different parts of the globe and to to use the time to get to know people and I think that's fantastic for their networking and and for upskilling and really just maximizing the time while we're stranded ashore. Kind of, the, a female apps? Not necessarily no no we've got a few I roped 
Chris Mason, for example, into uh, uh, mentoring uh, Damien Foxall as being one of our guys. And we've got a couple of others, a uh, guy that's in the Navy, for example, but a keen offshore sailor. So uh, predominantly female, but we've got yeah plenty of guys who are really keen to support and have got the right sort of skill set and attitude. So it's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. So how do people get in touch if they want to try and become part of the Magenta? Yeah, so the best way is just either on our website, which is themagentaproject.org, um, or otherwise Facebook, same again, The Magenta Project. Yeah, just shoot us a message. And yeah, it's really, it's very much a, an umbrella organisation. It's not like we don't have teams in events or we don't run boats or that sort of thing. It's very much um, an organisation that's there to, to create change and to upskill where we can. And there's no, there's no age restriction. It's just basically, no. if you, you know, if you feel you would or you have the mentality, you want to give it a go, um, get in touch. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I guess the, the majority of our, the, the, the girls that are on our mentoring scheme are early 20s, you know, coming in sort of trying to get that on the ladder of professional sailing and how to do it. And, um, you know, some of them are quite a few are actually aspiring to do the ocean race. Um, but equally, we've got a few, you know, in their 30s and 40s who have either been introduced to sailing a bit later in their life or they've got their own one lady's trying to do double handed racing or short handed racing and looking for for help with that. So, yeah, a real variety and definitely no age restrictions. Fantastic. So far, I was getting very worried about age these days. It's been brought up a few times in our pods recently. Yeah, bloody Terry Hutchison, cheeky bugger, asked my age. <laughs> You're a very youthful looking 40 something. Yeah, thanks, Stretch. Yeah. <laughs> Look at you what? leaning back in your chair with your lovely little chubby grin. <laughs> oh, dear. This is why we do it, Abby, because otherwise we've got no one to talk to for ages on end. We get quite lonely in our houses. <laughs> yeah, or no one to take the mickey out of. Yeah. No, I've got to say, my piss-taking has gone, my level has dropped massively. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what about the grassroots side of things? Because you guys are doing a load of grassroots club sailing, aren't you? Uh, no, not so much. Um, one thing we've been doing is, um, in collaboration with the RYA, in the UK is to run coaching clinics for women only in keelboats. And yeah, we've been all over. So Wales, Scotland, um, East coast, South coast. Um, and we've had a huge uptake of that uh, over the last two years. And this is just to enable women who might normally not have the chance to do some of the roles on board, whether that be driving or trimming or doing the bow. So really just a day to upskill in a position that they, they really want to get their hands into or just getting used to sailing keelboats. You know, they're maybe coming out with dinghy racing. It's just, you know, ups, making that step across the keelboats where you're suddenly having to deal with winches or runners or, you know, different different ways of doing things and how to sail a boat with more, more people on board. And so, yeah, that was a super successful um, it's something that we were hoping to repeat this year with the RYA, but obviously it's on a bit of a holding pattern. Uh, the other thing we're working with Foiling Week to do women's clinics at their events. So really, our, given that we are a charity organisation, we, we lack funds to do our own events. It's really about partnering with existing organisations to, to work in a way to create some 
events that will help to encourage women into that sort of sailing and to upskill them in in that particular area your dovetailing feeding is legendary we're straight on to foiling stretch our new found love sorry abby he's obsessed he's Have got all... obsessed. i kind of got that no. no well no. oh good. not only a, only a little bit well as in a, a little little flying trip on a ac45 and a gc32 but 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 not, not in a bath or a no, I'm. I'm now. I'm reeling. I'm. I'm really frightened. This whole foiling thing, having seen the video Stuart Childley put up of himself completely failing to foil. For those of you <laughs> watching, someone tune in good. on Facebook to Stuart Childley, uh, one of the finest keelboat yeah. ever to float the planet, not looking to flash in a moth. So that worries me because he really is one of the most talented sailors. But he had some tips. Did you see the tips that were straight in from a number of people saying, you've got to bear away, you've got to play the main sheet, heal the boat to windward and he's going to be fine. And I guarantee, even though he's 100 plus kilos, in three or four days' time, he'll be ripping around the ocean. Yeah, well, funny enough, the day after he put that out, I then saw Abby, you'd know, Hattie Rogers going out on a wasp, absolutely smoking it along. <laughs> no, not a problem. And I was like, oh, okay. Maybe, maybe I can do it. But, so, yeah. Well, I, she's just asked to be my friend on Facebook. Not that we probably should edit that stretch. It's a bit weird. Um, <laughs> but I was thinking I might just respond and say, absolutely no problem at all if we can have a go on your watch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, something that I feel the need to do. I think even more so having had a, a taster on the Amoka 60 recently. I think uh, just having that, experience in a, a foiling boat is going to be going to be massive so yeah yeah i'm, I'm going to join your club okay we'll, we'll join your learn to foil club in the rib and we'll just rotate in and out of whoever is stupid enough to lend us a boat yeah just, i mean we've got enough ribs to save us it's fine how dangerous can it be <laughs> well dangerous stretch given i've seen some of the injuries that people have had. we're going to be fine though we're going to be fine yeah. So, so Abby, um, I mean, no, I know the sailing world hasn't got, professional sailing world hasn't got a huge amount of plans ahead, but what are your sort of short-term aims, I suppose, in the next few months? Yeah, I guess using the time to uh, do some upskilling in on online, you know, whether that's just doing some coursework or stuff in, in the sailing world. Yeah, I, I also just enjoying the time being at home with the family. It's very rare that we spent this, this long at home altogether. So I guess uh, we've got to be grateful for making the most of that. Yeah, the foiling, foiling club's definitely on the God agenda. So um, as really? soon as we're <laughs> now that we're allowed back out, the difference on foiling stuff, right, is that we've both seen Abby on the bound. She's incredibly nimble and light-footed. Models herself on you, Stretch. <laughs> making up for my mistakes near her at mast at all times. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, well, I, I don't want to say it can't be that difficult, but I think with good instruction and a, a less than fragile boat, we're going to be all right. Thanks for coming on, Ab. Yeah, yeah thank, thank you, guys. And um, yeah. I hope to see you in real yeah. in the not too distant future and preferably on a boat. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you've enjoyed the pod. Leave us a rating on iTunes. Stretch and Stir Fry, signing off. See you soon.